This is Living Faith, the podcast ministry of First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. We are located at 100 North Lake Avenue. Our Sunday morning services start at 1045 a.m. Sunday school is at 930 a.m. You can find out more information about First Baptist Church at fbcap.net. This is part of our current Sunday evening series called 18 Words You Really Need to Know. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture. We sang about uh, standing in awe of you and standing in the presence of the Lord and holiness and white and sins forgiven. Tonight's topic is mortification. Mortification is not a word that we use often. Um, but it is the idea of, of putting to death sin and that how as a Christian that we are justified and declared righteous before God and, and we are saved as a believer, but yet as we looked at uh, last week, this process of sanctification is us living out the Christian life and putting to death the, the sin in our life. I want us to start off um, in Ephesians 2 and I think we'll get an understanding of why this topic of putting to death sin or mortification is so crucial. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning, uh, let's just begin in verse 1. Ephesians 2, beginning there in verse 1. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And so uh, what I love about Ephesians, the first three chapters talk about theologically what it means to be a believer and what has happened with Christ and the gospel, and then the rest of Ephesians is helping us understand how to live that life out. Colossians also does the same thing. But here, it, the, the great passage that we know, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, this is not of your own doing, it's gift of God. This is setting the tone for that. We won't get that far, but Ephesians 2, 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin, is a reminder who we were, verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, remember world, following the prince of the power of air, remember Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we, we've got some things going on that we've got some enemies, the world, Satan, among whom we all once lived in the trespasses and the, in the trespasses, in the passions of our flesh. That's what we're going to look at tonight, our flesh. There's a, a passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great lustre, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved. That is our verse that we're going to look at. And we're going to springboard from that verse and where J.I. Packard began his study of mortification. There's a battle going on against the world and against Satan and against our flesh. Mortification in our daily life with sin is not a battle against the world. It's not a battle against Satan. It is a battle against what? Our flesh. Even though that we become a believers and our want-tos change, there's still a battle going on. The desires, uh, the flesh, and that is what is so crucial in our Christian life. 
John Owen is a, a, a well-known theologian. He's one of those guys most of us have not heard of. You, you kind of go to college or seminary and you read about things like this. And jokingly, I always say you read about dead theologians. Well, he's a dead theologian. I say that respectfully because he lived in the 1600s. But he wrote a book called Mortification uh, of Sin. And it's, it's kind of one of those classics. If you, you can Google mortification of sin, it's going to come up, John Owen. There's a couple of, of quotes in there. And this is 1600s. I think a lot of times our young people think that sin didn't come around until their lifetime. Uh, sin's been around a long time. Passions of the flesh have been around a long time. Great quotes. I wanted to share this. Uh, a quote from his book. And this is the question that John Owen posed to the readers of the day of the church in the 1600s. Do you mortify that must have been a word used more in that time frame. Do you put to death? Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be, all, be always at it whilst, whilst you live. Whilst, W-I-L-S-T. Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Some of us have heard that. Be killing sin or sin will kill you. Another quote from the book, Let no man think to kill sin with few easy or gentle strokes. Who, he who has once smitten a serpent, if he follow not on his blow until it be slain, may repent that he had ever began the quarrel. You see the picture? You kill a snake with one blow and you think it's dead and you turn around and it bites you. He said that's how we need to do sin. Don't, don't attack sin with gentle, gentle little strokes and say he who undertakes to deal with sin and pursues it not constantly to the death. And so is he who understands that we do not deal with sin constantly to the end. Here's a message I don't want us to be discouraged over. Sometimes we hear preaching and about sin and mortifying the flesh. And, and it's almost like we listen and it's like, oh my goodness, what a, you know, uh, I'm never going to be able to get this. I've got this constant battle of my wickedness and my flesh and there's no joy. No, that's just the opposite. To me, I get excited when I understand that there's something at work in me that Satan is trying to get me stirred up in my flesh. But with that, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, we can overcome it. Who can bring a charge against us? As Romans reminds us, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And so, yes, I need to put to death sin daily in my life or sin will put me to death spiritually. I need to mortify the flesh, and, but I can do it and I'm excited about being able to do it because of what I have in Jesus Christ. So as we look at Ephesians 2, we realize there is a battle that is going on. And that battle is with the flesh. Mortification is putting to death. It's the idea that we are in a battle and the battle is against our flesh. We're born again. We're saved. But here's the way I like to say it. Christ lives within me, but John is still there. So you, whatever your name is, you fill in the blanks. Jesus is abiding within me, and I, I know I am saved, blood-bought, redeemed child of God. I am his. I'm adopted into the family. John's still in there. But that's the flesh. That is that, that within us that we are capable of doing things, even though we may not want to. As Paul would say, I do the things I do not want to do, but yet I do them anyway. That is the flesh. And that's why it's so important that we understand that it is something that is going on daily. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Colossians 3, 5, and then we're going to look at Romans 8. Colossians 3, 
This word is used in two different tenses. And I always say, you know, we, when you go to college and seminary, and they said, oh, don't ever talk about Greek stuff in front of the congregation. And, uh, well, I agree with that. But, I, but also, I think it's very important that we understand that things are, are written differently and they, the words have a different meaning to it. So it may not be very important that it is an Eretz tense verse, uh, verb, but there's something to understand about the way this word is written in the original language. Look at Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore. That's that word that we get the English word for mortification. Verse 5, Colossians 3. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. He lists some things. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, and idolatry. And a lot of times we go through these lists. And I say, well, I'm not sex and moral. I'm impure. I'm not passionate. I'm not evil desires. I don't really covet. We all struggle with idolatry. You know, our, our, we, we all struggle with idolatry. Any, idolatry is anything that we, in my mind, anything that we worship in and attend to more than the things of God. That, that is an ongoing struggle. So we can't say, well, I don't really have anything to put to death. If you say that, then you need to put pride to death. So there's always something. Now, the, 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 the verbiage in this, the, the way that word is put to death, the verb tense of that, it literally means that it is something that has already happened and will be complete. Put to death, meaning it, it's happened. In other words, we can do it. it. It's something that we remember that it has taken place, and we think about it from our Christian life. We must be who we are and not who we were. If the verb means that it has happened and it is going to be completed, then I understand that as I put to death, I have to remember who I am and not remember who I was. If I don't remember who I am and I live the way I was as an unbeliever, I'm never going to be able to put to death. But it has happened and it is going to be successful if I remember who I am. Put to death, therefore. Because you are in Christ, put to death, therefore. Put to death because you can do these things. Now that's an encouraging word if you're into how many people would say that you're a you're a, you don't have to raise your hand. How many people would say I am a counselor? And not many people would ever raise their hand. But what if I would ask you to raise your hand to do this? How many people do you would just would love to just encourage people to live out the Christian life? Anybody have a desire to encourage guess what you are? You're a counselor. All a good biblical Christian counselor is is somebody that walks through life with somebody and helping them three, see through God's word what they can be in Christ. Now, some people are gifted and have a call to counseling, but we're all counselors. So you take this verse, somebody comes to you and go, hey, my life is a wreck, and they fill in the blank, whatever that wreck is. And then you look at them and go, man, they are messed up. I mean, sometimes as a pastor under my breath and say, man, they are really messed up. And I think, well, what are we going to do? I didn't know Randy was so, I didn't know Chad was so messed up. I didn't know Josh was so messed up. 1-800-messed-up-psychiatrist. How can I ever find them help? Do we do that? No, it doesn't matter what they say. You can put to death that. Any, anything we struggle with, we can put to death. Why? Because Christ has been put to death for our sins. And so if we think about the ministry of reconciliation and counseling, it is very exciting to me because there's nothing I can face throughout the day that I can't say. That can be mortified. That can be put to death because there's not some, something that can happen spiritually that God cannot overcome 
We put it to death. It's a fact. Put to death, therefore. But there's another way. There's another understanding of this. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 13. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. This is a, a present tense verb, meaning it's, it's, a, it's something that needs to be continually happening. Romans eight thirteen. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, same word, different verb tense. You have to continually do this. Christ has done it, but you have, it's like Christ has done this, but this is what we do. It's the idea of sanctification. We, we are one in Christ. We are born again, but we are to grow daily in our likeness and understanding of the Lord. Right here, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So this is what mortification is. It is us putting to death every day the sins of the body. It is the idea that we are putting to death anything in our life that is not supposed to be there, and we acknowledge that and we move on. Putting to death is a real need with a real purpose that will bring about a real outcome. It's a real need. Putting to death sin is a real need with a real outcome, with a real purpose. That is why some people are good at it and some people are not. In other words, some people put to death sin. Some people do not put to death sin. There's a need for it and a purpose, and there, there's an outcome. You can be a child of God and, and let the things of the flesh rule your body. And the sad part about it is it affects others, but who does it affect most? Me. I was, I was sitting there thinking, when I think about mortification of sin, I think about my life. I, I use this example. When I, years ago, it's funny now I'm getting old. When I first started preaching, I say that jokingly. When I first started preaching, I remember saying this. You would have never come to my grandmother's table with dirty hands. You remember that? You remember, I mean, I think about it, I can, I can take you right now and, and walk into my grandmother's house after playing out in the yard. She, you better get in there in that bathroom right now and wash them hands. I've been cooking on here all day long. Huh? Sweet lady. We can't come into the presence of the Lord with dirty hands. There's not a, a switch we can plug on. Oh, we flip the holiness switch. Oh, I stand in awe. I stand in awe. And Jesus is going, no, don't give me that stand in awe. You need to go get clean, then we can talk. I think there's a lot of that goes on in our Christian life. We're going through the motions. We're reading the Bible. We're reading our devotional. We're checking the box. We're praying. The, we're praying. We're living. We're doing. We're living. We're doing. And it's just as we would say, the, the prayers are not good. but They're just bouncing off the walls, so to speak. And it's nothing that Christ has done. It's just we are not daily mortifying the sins of our life and we're no closer to the Lord because of the sin that is in our life. There's a, real, there's a reason we mortify. It has a purpose. It has a real outcome. Some do, some don't. Evidently, John Owens, a man like John Owen, you know, somebody would say, well, why haven't you ever written a, a mortification of sin book like John Owen that we've been talking about for 400 years? I must not be as holy as John Owen. I mean, evidently, God, God does something in people for a reason. I heard a, a preaching professor say this. The greatest men and women missionaries, the greatest men and women missionaries, pastors and servants of the Lord that we talk about for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, 
There was a point in, I remember him saying this in class, there was a point in their life that they got alone with the Lord and said, me, nothing. The earth, nothing. You, everything. Do you know why we talk about Lottie Moon? Because she gave up everything and got on a boat and lived in China and had nothing. You know why we don't talk about us? Because we don't want to do that. We're not going to let go of everything and get on a boat and go live in China and die off the shore of China. I'm not saying bad. I'm just saying those people that have mortified their flesh and they have said no to the things of the world, those are the ones that we sit and we talk about and what a great men and women and boys and girls of the faith. I believe God wants to use each and every one of us in a great way. And I think we can experience that if we can learn to mortify the flesh, put to death the flesh. Three things, very simple. It's not hard. Number one, this is not from Packer's book. This is from John's book. This is not, if you read the book, you say, well, that wasn't it. I know this is from my overflow of reading the book. This is John terms. One, we have to recognize sin in order to put it to death. We have to be able to see sin for what it is. We have to be able to recognize something is wrong. You know, it's kind of frustrating when, uh, you know, you, you think about the, the, I always talk about married life. You know, you get married and you're, you know, you it, try this. Men, try this. On the, ride, on the ride home tonight, I want you to try this. You get in the car and you pull out. I want you to look over at your better half and say, what can I do to just serve you as your husband and to make your life so much easier? Why, why are you laughing? Some of y'all are giggling. Gail's even pointing people out. <laughs> Look at her. Gail's pointing at people up there. Uh, so this is just completely a, a pastoral illustration, honey. So this is for them. <laughs> We're riding down the road. And you say, honey, what can I do to make your life easier? Will you please tell me everything that's there that's not our child? Do it to your parents. What can, show me the things in my life that are not pleasing to you. As a parent, what would you say? Emily's 25 years old, and she's staying with us for a season. And she would say, Father, what can I do to make life greater as I'm staying with you this season of my life? I would lovingly say, honey, you could do this, you could do that. This would just make my life so much easier, so much better. Go to bed at 9, get up at 4, we all be happy, we're on the same timetable. <laughs> Think what would happen if every day we got right with God and said, God, show me everything in my life that is not pleasing to you and then give me the ability to deal with it. Could you imagine what would take place in our lives and our heart? We have to recognize sin for what it is. Personal sin, and this is going to be a daunting definition. We're going to leave here going, oh my goodness. Personal sin is any thought or attitude, act or failure to act, that violates God's standard of perfect holiness. You read that definition? How many of us have personal sin in our lives? Any act, any failure to act, any thought, any deed, anything in our life that does not compare to God's holiness. So that's why it is something personal sin. That's why it's so important every day. What do we do? We ask the Lord, show me who I am in light of who you are. 
you know my definition of sin. Anything we know that God does not want us to do and we do anyway. That is personal sin. To recognize sin, we need to be able to see it in our presence. Look at the book of Romans. We are there, aren't we? Romans 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning there in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. So we, in order to see sin for what it is, we have to set our mind. Our mind is our, our purpose and our reasoning, our thinking and, and what we do. So we, we want to recognize sin. So when we think about that, and now turn to Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then I want to discuss that for a little bit. Romans 12, 1 and 2. So we're setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Don't, don't miss that. One, brothers, he's talking to believers. Mercy is the idea that that's how much God loves us. You know, we think about, well, Pastor, I mean, I read that. A personal sin, any act or failure to act or anything I do in comparison and failure to God's holiness, well, that's everything. Well, yes. I appeal to you, brothers, I appeal to you, believers, by the mercies of God, Romans 12, 1, it is by God's grace and mercy that we can do anything. So we're not doing it in our own flesh. We're not doing it in our own might. Even when we think about mortifying of sin and putting the death sin, we do so because of the mercy of God. Everything that we have is because of God's grace and mercy. Because of God's mercy, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This this idea that we have given our life to Christ and we are making a a commitment to serve him and to live for him. I'm, I'm giving my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. When you think about worship, that's what the Lord wants. He wants real authentic worship, a clean heart, a right heart. Verse 2 could be a way of saying this is what real spiritual worship looks like. Do not be conformed to this world. That is the idea of, and this is so true, it's it's an idea of a piece of clay sitting there and and someone molding it. It's the picture of living in the world, now not the the earth world, but the, the world, that which is opposed to the truth of God and who God is. As we live in the world, do not be conformed by the world. Do not live in the world in such a way that we let the world dictate who we are. I was thinking about um, the military uh, today. Uh, I'm going to be uh, praying for some wounded warriors real early in the morning. Uh, and uh, real early. And that we've got a wounded warrior project in the area and a bunch of wounded veterans are going kayaking for several days and so they asked me to come and do a a prayer and a little quick bible study and they always say quick 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 bible study uh and a little little word little sermon a little little devotion uh and and i thought i was thinking about that today military is just different dudes you ever been around military people you know a lot of times people go off to the military and and uh you know they come back different sometimes it's good Sometimes it's not bad. Sometimes it's just kind of new. The language is different. They talk differently. There's lingo that's different. You say things differently. Uh, why is that? Because you're around something long enough. You talk like it. You act like it. You do it. Uh, I remember when I first got back from boot camp, I stood at parade rest for a solid week. And people like, relax. I can't. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. It was just I was afraid somebody was going to run in the room and start screaming at me. 
The world conforms you. It says, do not be conformed to the world. What, is, what has happened to the influence of the church in America today? We've been conformed by the world. We've let the world dictate who we are. Don't be conformed by the world, but notice what it says. Where God says don't do something, he provides a way that we don't have to do something. That's what makes the gospel so great. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Conformed is the outside in. Transformed is the inside out. We'll be transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I want my heart to be right so my life will be right. My mind controls what I put into my heart, what I watch, what I see, what I read, what I listen to, who I'm around. That is what I have control over. I can control that, that which I'm feeding the soul of my heart. That in which I am looking at the world through the the lens of Scripture, so to speak. If our mind is ever changing into the mind of Christ, then I will be able to recognize the sin that is in my life. So what I do is I I recognize sin. I'm, I'm transforming my mind. Number two, it fits all together. Rely on the Holy Spirit. So my mind is at stake. Rely on the Holy Spirit. A couple of chapters in John I want us to look at. Look at John 16. Let's go John 14 first. I'm sorry. John 14, then John 16. John 14, beginning in verse 16. And we're going to jump around. John 14, 16. Verse 16 to 14 of John. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you. How long? Forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Isn't that fascinating? Why does the world not get it? They can't get it. You you, you can't expect, and that's what we've done. Well, the world doesn't get it. We'll just do what the world wants to do. No. I don't expect the world to get what I believe. They're the world. We're believers. We get it. The lost world's not going to get this. That's why they need to be saved. What we have done is people have said, well, let's see what the world wants. We'll do a poll. What does the world says blank? And so, well, that's what we need to do. No, the world's not going to get it. Only the, the Spirit of God within us are we going to get it. That's why we proclaim the gospel, so people can be saved and have the Spirit abiding within them. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees it nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Where's the Spirit abide? In us, with us, forever. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. We drop down to verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Now the context of this, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and Jesus is saying, hey, I got to go. Y'all not going to hear this, I got to go. I'm making my way to the cross as we speak, but I'm going to send a Helper. 
I'm going to send someone that will guide you and that will dwell within you and that will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Now look over to John 16. John 16, beginning in verse 5. But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you're going. But because I have said these things, your sorrow has filled you with heart. Verse 7 of John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, who comes? The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit has come in Acts chapter 2. And it comes and abides with each and every one of us the moment that we say, When the helper comes, it convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the rule of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth. What is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit? To guide us in all truth. How do we know what sin looks like? How do we know what is right? How do we know what is wrong? How do we know how to live and follow the thing to the Lord? The Spirit will guide us. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. All that the Father has is Jesus Christ. All that Jesus Christ has, the Spirit has. They are God. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I will say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just as It would be just like having Christ with us 24-7, saying, Jesus, what should I do? What should I not do? What do I believe? What do I not believe? How do I need to respond? How do I need to act? We have that with us in the Holy Spirit. It is there to reveal and to guide and to glorify everything about the Lord. And so as we live this life of putting to death that flesh, putting to death anything in our life, we recognize sin for what it is, and we rely on the Holy Spirit. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do this? How do we recognize sin? How do we rely on the Spirit? It is so simple. I was talking to a young lady that gave her life to Christ through the ministries of this church, and last week she came forward weeping, and is following through with baptism. And I, I met with her this morning during Sunday school. And I'd given her some information to fill out. I gave it to her in the morning. She came by my house the next day and brought it. That's exciting. Hey, I want you to fill out this Bible study. It's going to take you a little while. Some, you're going to have to take your Bible and work the workbook. And some fill in the blanks. And, you know, I'm done. Well, I guess we go get the hose and just immerse her out there, you know. <laughs> Throw her in the hot tub in the pool. That's exciting to me. And in the very last section of this, it's just part of a main study that I've taught. And in the back of it, it says, how to grow as a Christian. And it just simply says, here are the things you do. And I said, are you ready? Are you ready to understand what it means to grow as a Christian? She says, yes. The Bible. Prayer. Worship. Being with other Christians. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ through acts as we minister to one another in witnessing. Not, we don't need another Lifeway study to figure that out, do we? We don't need to read another book to figure that out. I guess I can just stop buying books, right? 
How do we recognize sin? How do we rely on the Spirit? How do we hear the Spirit? How do we see us for who we are? How do we see God for who He is? Where do we find the joy of of living the Christian life? How do we stand and praise at all of the Lord Jesus Christ every day in our life? We meditate and feast and read upon the Word. We become people of prayer that we talk to our Heavenly Father and as the word and the spirit takes the word, we, we come into the presence of God. We worship as the body of Christ. We sing not because of us. We sing not because of you. We sing because of him. We worship because of him. We fellowship with one another. There's a lot of one another's in scripture. How many times have you thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? Maybe we need to start telling people this. Have you ever thought about the number of the ways that God has used other people in your life to encourage you in your life? I mean, just think right now. The number of people even in this room that I could, I could go up to you and say, you don't know this, but God has used you, boom. God has done this through you. God has done this through you. God has done this through you. Well, that means if I wouldn't have been around you, God could have done that through you, right? I would have missed a blessing. You would have missed a chance of sharing a blessing. Serving one another. Doing something for somebody else for nothing in return other than just to, to give God the glory. In witnessing. There is no new way to grow closer to the Lord. There is no new way to rely on the Holy Spirit than that. And then last, and we'll move quickly as we look at run. We'll run quickly. We run from it. Had a, just a pastor story. Pastor, I need to talk. Okay, Pastor, I am really struggling with internet pornography. Okay, walk me through that. Now, I tell people this jokingly, but I'm being very serious. Years ago, little girly magazines, a young man had to know somebody that knew somebody that had an uncle. It was always an uncle. It's always an uncle that has the Playboys. And you would, you would get one from the uncle's you know, bedroom on the mattress, and you would go, and we, we had a little stash out. It took us four days to get there. You know, had a little stash buried in the woods, and there was one playboy that had been around for 100 years. That was hard work to find a playboy back in the day. You know how easy it is to find pornography? You could click online right now sitting in church and look at pornography. That's how simple it is. And so a gentleman came to me and said, I'm struggling with pornography. I said, well, help me through that. What's going on here? Well, I've got a computer in my room, and I'm a student, so when I do classwork, I find myself getting online doing classwork, and I wander off to a pornography site. And so we met. Next, next, you know, okay, do this, do this. Next week came back. Well, I'm still studying pornography. I said, well, I'm telling you what you need to do. You need to take a hammer out of your dad's toolbox and put a hammer through that computer screen, and you won't look at pornography in your bedroom anymore. He said, well, I can't do that. Well, I said, well, then keep looking at pornography then. You know, sometimes we just have to say, you know, okay, if, I, if I'm tired of complaining about how fat I am because I love ice cream, how about quit buying ice cream, you know? I mean, I'm not going to not be able to say no to it when it's sitting in my freezer. We don't buy no fat. That's not ice cream. Milk dietary substance is not ice cream. I'm talking ice cream. We have to run from it. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get away from that which is keeping us from being who we need to be in Christ. It takes denial and it takes discipline. We need to put things in their place. So we run from sin. I'm going to read these verses. I'll just say the text and it's obvious. I'm going to read the verses. Don't turn there. 
1 Corinthians 6 to 18, flee from sexual immorality. It's kind of the idea, I'm a lean, mean fight machine, hoorah, U.S. Marine, right? I've been trained by, the, I've been trained by your government. I'm literally a government-trained fighting machine, right? Some big bad dude walks in that back door and wants to get whooping on somebody. I'm going to probably drag my feet and let some younger person go do the first few blows for me. I say, well, what do you mean? Well, I'm not who I used to be, okay? I've got two or three punches left in me, but I don't want to scrap for more than about 15 minutes. I think sometimes we just have to realize I'm not who I used to be. I'm not, when it comes to sin, we think, I'm dead in Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. I'm an overcomer. I'm more than a conqueror. But yet, Bible says we need to run from sin, dummy. It doesn't say we just, we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of it. So nowhere because we're crucified in Christ, that grace is sufficient, that we're just going to hang out in sin and think it's going to be okay. No, we, we need to know what we can do and not do run from sin. I always tell you, run from sin. Flee sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee from it. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. 1 Corinthians 10, 14. Beloved, now this is the church. Therefore, my beloved, flee idolatry. Run from anything that begins to take your heart away from the things of the Lord. Idolatry is anything that can take us away from the things of the Lord. How about this? 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Not money. Because I, I tell people this, how do we have missionaries? How do we have this? How do we have the things that we have as a Christian world and kingdom? Because God has blessed people and people are good stewards of what they've gotten and they're, they're, we're funding. God uses wealthy people. You know, we are one of the most wealthiest. Everybody in this room is the most wealthiest people in the world, by the way. It's not wealth that is bad. It's the love of wealth. The love of money. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Notice what it says there, pierced themselves. The love of money, we have pierced ourselves. But as for you, and he's writing to Timothy, Timothy the pastor, but you, O man of God, flee these things. Be like Lottie Moon. Flee these things. Be willing to do away with anything that's materialistic. Be away with stuff. Flee these things. 2 Timothy 2.22. Again, Paul writing to Timothy as a pastor. He reminds him, flee youthful passions. Flee youthful desires and ambitions. Don't, don't, don't run to what you think you need to do. Flee from these things. That there's more to, you know, it, it, look at it this way. If I'm running from something, where am I going to? If I don't have anywhere to go, I'm going to come right back to it. Anybody here ever run away from home? My sister ran away from home. She said, I'm leaving home. Where's she going to go? She's seven. She was up under the house, mad at me, so I made her run away from home. She, didn't, she was under the house. She didn't go anywhere. You just going to live in the crawl space of the what do you call that? Not the attic. What's the under the house? What do you call under the house? Under the house. So we're going to run from sin, but if we don't run to anything else, we run right back to it. It's like that gentleman. I, I hate pornography. I don't run from it, but you, you're running around and coming right back into your room. We have to run to 
righteousness. We see sin for what it is. We rely on the Spirit and we run from it. And as we run from something, we're running to something. Colossians and Ephesians talk about put to death, put off, but then we put on. I love looking at old pictures. Isn't it amazing how when we were, when I was, when I was in the 80s and I was going to the prime in the 80s, I was a sharp, that was a light brown tux with wings. I was a sharp dressed dude. I, I remember Sharon and I went to four proms and never went with each other. See, I didn't know that, did you? We both went to four proms and never went with each other. So we'd sit at the proms and stare at each other mad. And I bet she was sitting there going, look at him in that beige and brown tux and those wings coming back. He is a sharp-dressed dude. If I walked out in that now, she'd leave me in a heartbeat. And so we look at clothing and we say, okay, you, you got you to gotta take that off. Okay? You got to take that off. That's outdated. Put this on. No, that, that's not working anymore. We've got to put that off. So we have sin in our life. What do we do? Take it off. But if you don't replace it with something, you're going to put something back on. And you're going to probably put that back on. So we've, we've run from sin, but we have to run to righteousness. 1 Timothy 6, 11, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Then right after that, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love steadfastness and gentleness so imagine this I'm running from this and the Holy Spirit has told me that is sin and I have the spirit abiding within me and their desire to live and to please Christ and I'm running from this and and my my desire is to I've made a a willful decision to do something I I want to do this and I turn to Christ and I turn to the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit and I say Lord I I don't want anything to do that I want to pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and steadfastness and gentleness do you not think that would be a prayer that God would answer Oh my goodness, he, you know, it, it's that idea. He wants us to run to him in that way. Again, 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee youthful passions, but notice what else. So therefore, flee youthful passions and pursue. Not only just run from, but now we're pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart I think John Owens got it right kill death kill sin excuse me kill sin or sin will kill you if you're a believer tonight there's still that battle within you called you but we can see us for who we are and recognize that and rely on the Holy Spirit And run from it and run to it. Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the penalty for the sin in our life. Initially in justification, but also progressively through sanctification. And every day, it ought to be a day that we joyfully ask the Lord to show us our heart. Show us those things. Give us the desire to change and to grow and to change into His glorious image. Jesus did pay it all so that we can live this type of life. Let's stand as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can put to death sin 
Lord, because you were put to death on a cross for our sin. As we sing about the price that you pay, I pray that we don't just give you service with our mouth, but that we give you a worship with our heart. Let us be excited that the Spirit is there to show us that which is wrong, but also to point us to that which is right. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for that. We thank you for the Father. We thank you for the Son. We thank you for the Spirit. And that we can put to death that sin. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.